Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen, church? Amen. That's where we're going, those who are in Christ Jesus. And the aim and the goal is to make sure we're all in Him and to get as many in Him as possible. That's why we do little things like this, the love of Jesus in a box. Amen? One of the biggest blessings you'll receive is taking part in this uh, as an individual or as a family, if God's given you a family, is to involve your children, let them see what a blessing this can be because there will be thousands and thousands of little children uh, that um, this will be Christmas, uh, Christmas in a box. And we know how fortunate and blessed we are, and, uh, but to many children, this right here will be all they get. Uh, but let me tell you, what they'll get in this box is the love of Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. That'll go along with these. So let me, let me pray over these and every child that these boxes will touch, every family, that God will use these in a mighty way and that God will use us uh, to continue. You, you still have an opportunity for this. I know some of you uh, have said, well, I, I meant to do that or haven't had a chance. And as you can see, you can get your own little boxes at Dollar General or wherever. I think we still have some back available on the table here. The deadline is this Wednesday, so you can go out, get the stuff, drop them by the church office here, and um, we will uh, take care of them and get them to where they need to go. But let's just lift these up to the Lord in prayer right now. Father God, Lord, uh, thank you, Father. We praise you, God, that you have, uh, you've graced us, Lord, uh, in a way, God, uh, that um, very few have been graced the way, Lord, everyone sitting in this room has been graced with access to your gospel, God, um, that you allowed us to be born, God, in the most blessed uh, nation and country on planet Earth, Father God. And so, Lord, help us always, Father, to be grateful for that. Help us, Lord, uh, to um, not only uh, be recipients of your grace, Father, but to be channels and conduits, Father, and literally your hands and feet to the ends of the earth, Father. And Lord, we know that this is just a, a small way, Father God, that Lord, you can impact a life and you can touch a child, God, who's never felt the love uh, of a father. And Lord, with this, Father, and the seed that's being planted in water, God, you can give increase, God, because along with this box, Father, uh, is not just, uh, Lord, toys and, and presents, Lord, um, but the gospel goes forth. And so we thank you for ministries like Franklin Graham and Samaritan's Purse, God, and be with all those who will have a hand in that, Father. Uh, and, Lord, may we see many thousands of children, Father God, uh, Lord, and, and family, Lord, uh, members who have come to Jesus, God, because of the faithfulness of this ministry. Thank you that we can take part in it, Father. We bless it, uh, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said? Amen, amen. And so God is still in the business of changing lives. I want to say it is good to be back in America, all right? And uh, this is a place, I tell all of my friends in West Africa that I'm from America, and uh, they can understand that. So if I still have a little bit of my uh, West African accent in me this morning, it's because I've just kind of uh, been submerged in their culture. But we appreciate all the prayers. God moved in a mighty way uh, over there while we were there, and so we could tell uh, the hand of God was on us, and it's so good to be able to literally put into action God's Word and what we've even been working through in the book of Acts. And so, um, but I want to tell you just a little bit about what God has done. And so, um, uh, just in our past week, as you were praying and God was paving the way and preparing the way, uh, is that we were able to greatly encourage the believers there. The number one request of our believers there that have... Um, decided to follow Jesus in the midst of a culture and context uh, that uh, is so much harder to follow him than what we have to follow him here. Uh, they literally deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him daily. Uh, and, uh, but the number one message we heard from them, uh, and this is what I want you to be praying about and help us partner with, is we see you, but then we don't see you for a while. 
That was their great burden. We see you, but then we don't see you for a while. And so they were, they were when we found the believers there, they were very discouraged. Uh, and so obviously I told them that we had much love, that the Spirit of God was stirring our hearts as a people uh, and as a church and stirring more hearts to go. Um, but that was a heavy, heavy burden uh, that they conveyed. And of course, I walked them through that God wanted to get them to a place in their faith to where they didn't even need us uh, and they didn't need their Christian American brothers and sisters in Christ, that Esau, that Jesus was enough. Uh, and, and to be encouraged by that. But by the end of the week, it was amazing um, the difference. It was daylight and dark difference by the end of the week just by spending uh, Wednesday night th- uh, or, or spending four nights uh, on the rooftop with them, I think, uh, studying the Word together that their, their, just, their spirit was totally different encouraged uh and so but we have to keep going and uh and we had uh we had for the first time to my knowledge uh, we saw god move down into the level of the teenage age uh from about 12 to 17 had the opportunity and i want you to be praying about that uh, but we had the opportunity while we were speaking um in uh, one of the homes there uh, one of the gentlemen our team members had led to the lord uh, and he's over one of the camps there, and he watches it at night, works third shift. And uh, he knows probably more English uh, than anybody we have over there. Very few people know English. Uh, and our team members had led him to the Lord, I think, on the last trip uh, that we were over there. And in his compound, I was sharing uh, basically from Adam and Eve, pointing to uh, the sacrifice, even talking about the sacrifice of Abraham and Isaac. Um, and I'll never forget this. It was such a precious moment um, that this uh, probably about 17-year-old daughter was standing there down to her siblings, down to about the age of 12, and they were locked in on every word. And I looked at that 17-year-old girl along with her sisters, but I zoned in on her, and I talked about Jesus dying on the cross uh, and uh, that he was the realm in the thicket uh, that God provided thousands of years later, that he would provide Jesus on that cross uh, on the mountain uh, for us. And I looked at this 17-year-old girl as she's hearing this, and I said, do you know who should have died on that cross? And our translator from the Gambia, she translated for me, and she said, um, she looked at me and she said, and I said, you, 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 she said, you? I said, you. And then I said, David, your dad, we call him David. I said, me, Mary the translator. And it's just like a light came on in that young lady. A light came on in her. And one of the hardest things to convey to the people over there, especially Muslims, because they have a, t- they have a tough time admitting they're evil and sin because they want to look good before God because they're depending on their good outweighing their bad. But not only is it in that context, it's in this context in America too. That no one wants to drop or come to the reality is that they should have died on the cross. That's the beauty of the love of God. That he who knew no sin became sin. That we might have the righteousness of God. And my friend, no person will make it into the kingdom of God until they acknowledge that they should have died for their own sins on that cross and confess those sins and confess Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. Amen? No person, be it in West Africa or be it in America. And so if there's something, even in this context and this culture, and I'll talk about that in today's message, that people still 
when you ask them, when they stand before God and he says, why should I let you in, that even Americans will say, well, I'm a pretty good person. That's the most foolish answer you could say before an almighty and holy God, as if you could bring something in yourself good to the table when there's no good in us, spiritually speaking. And the light came on for that young lady, along with her siblings. And right there, I had the translator ask the father, would it be okay in trying to bring honor to him, uh, and honor him in that, uh, for me to lead those precious young uh, daughters of his to the Lord? And right there, they prayed after the translator, confessing their sins, thanking God that he died on their cross and accepted Jesus as their Lord. Amen? Amen? So... So God moved in that way, and of course, you see, the beauty of that is, here's the difference. In our context, you will see, in America, you will see a teenager come before a prideful father or a prideful dad or a prideful parent. In that context, the gospel is not supposed to make it down to those younger kids, you see. Because there is a protection over, in fact, uh, we're, we're not even supposed to uh, uh, evangelize those children just along by themselves without even an authority there. And so um, with their father there, the gospel came forth through those kids. And we're just believing that God's going to continue to change hearts and lives. So keep praying for that. And God moved in a mighty way. I appreciate your prayers. And hopefully we can fill you in more uh, about that. This Wednesday, I'm going to let the ladies share what it meant to them, Ms. Parker and Pam. And I told them they give me good preaching material because if I can take... Well, I better not say their age. But anyway, if I can take two senior adult ladies, uh, one of them coming off a broke ankle, and they can go, anybody can go, amen? Just about anybody can go. And as we've been talking about, pray, give, and go. And that's today's sermon. Today's sermon title is Living Life to the Fullest for God. Living Life to the Fullest for God. And we're in Acts chapter 22 in this section that picks up with verse 22 and goes through 23, 11. And the takeaway is stand for God no matter the attack and he will keep you on track. Stand for God no matter the attack and he will keep you on track. If you stand for God, the attack is going to come, but God is going to be faithful. And so in today's text, we're looking at one of Paul's defense statements, which is actually number two in the five defense statements that he makes. And he was walking in the Spirit, and he made up his mind that he was going to live for Jesus no matter the attack, and was trusting God to keep him on track, and even knew in that toughest moment that God had his back. And that's what you'll learn as a child of God. As you grow in your faith, if you're truly going to serve God, if you're going to, uh, if you're going to make it through the warfare that you're going to encounter every day that the enemy's going to bring your way, you'll understand that there's going to be an attack, but God is the one who keeps you on track, God is the one who keeps you focused, and he's the one that always has your back. So what was it, though, that gave Paul such assurance that he was not alone in his journey of living his life to the fullest for God? Because I can assure you, by human standards, there were many times he felt alone. There were many times he looked over and said, does anybody else care? Is anyone else willing to pay the price? Does anyone else see just how precious Christ is and how precious God is? But Paul understood the power of the gospel and what the cross and the empty tomb meant. He knew that on the cross, listen to this church, Jesus stood for him and after the resurrection, Christ stood with him. Do you get that? On the cross, Jesus stood for you. On the cross, Jesus stood for me. But after the resurrection, he stood 
with me. And the resurrection is literally what changes Christianity from every other occultic religion is that we put our faith in a risen Lord and Savior who conquered death, hell, and the grave, which is the gospel. And Christ not only stood for us, but because he stood for us and he was willing to pray, not my will be done, but thy will be done, now he stands with us, and that changes the way we live our life, or it should if we've truly encountered him. So it doesn't matter if we are facing the unfriendly, the unbelieving, or those in authority as Paul did. We can stand with confidence, not in ourselves, but in Christ and Christ alone. That's why Paul could later stand and say, I know whom I have believed in and am persuaded that he is able to keep me. My faith is in him no matter the hardship that comes my way. So let me give you some truths to living life to the fullest for God. But I want to pray first. Father, open our eyes. Open our hearts, Father God, Lord. You have called us to live for you. Now, Father, forgive us of living for ourselves, Father. That's the greatest sin, uh, Lord, that I probably see. Uh, across our land and in America, Father, is that we live for ourselves. In some form, God, we are committing idolatry, Father God, uh, in this land, Father, across your church, God. Uh, and uh, many times churches just attack on, Lord, to our schedule or our week, Father. Many times just to justify our conscience, to pat ourselves on the back, Father. But you are a holy God. You have called us to worship you, God, and to worship you in spirit and in truth and to worship you, God, daily, not just once a week, Father. So forgive, uh, Lord, us of... Um, not taking our relationship with you serious, Father. Empower us, Father. God, give us the confidence and courage, Father, that you gave Paul, Father, and help us to live our life to the fullest for you, God, in all that we do, Father, knowing that you have left us here, God, for the simple reason, Father, of those yet to come, God, by making your gospel known and it transforming our life. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Truths to living your life to the fullest for God. Let me give you the first truth, and then we'll break down this text in Acts, uh, starting in Acts chapter 22. Uh, in verse 22, the first truth is you may be bound, but it's okay to stand your ground. I want you to think about that. You may be bound, but it's okay to stand your ground. If you live for Jesus, especially if you live for Jesus as our context changes even in this country and we become more intolerant uh, and we become more to where we're even told that, you know, you can't say certain things or you can't say certain things are a sin or you might lose this right if you preach this or proclaim this. Uh, well, in third world countries, you're definitely told not to do those things. In certain countries, uh, you're not even allowed in to speak the message that we know is the message of truth, the gospel, which is the good news. But you may be bound, but it's okay to stand your ground. Now look at verse 22. What Paul is encountering here um, as he stands before um, the Romans here, the R Roman Tribune. Up to the word they listened to him, up to this word they listened to him. As he's telling about God has told him, you will go and you will go far away to the Gentiles to take my gospel. And so they had listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. Now look at verse 23. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying... Uh, that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? Now look at verse 26. When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, but I am a citizen by birth. 
So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately, and the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. So here's the truth. You may be bound, but it's okay to stand your ground. So Paul is bound, but he is not silent. Paul is bound, but he's walking in the authority and the spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit. And so don't retreat when the enemy is trying to bring defeat. If you truly try to live for Jesus, I promise you, you are going to encounter the enemy. And some of the things the enemy is going to try to instill in you is a fear. Is a fear. A fear not of God, but a fear of man. A fear of yourself. A fear of your own life. Think about that. That's why most people do not live for Jesus is because they have a fear of rejection. They have a fear of failure. They have a fear of persecution. That's why most Americans don't even witness to the person at work that the Lord may lay on their heart if they're sensitive enough or to our neighbor and care enough about them because we have this fear of rejection, this fear that um, they will say that we're, we're crazy uh, and so, or this fear of going into a third world context uh, that people might not like that. And so we've, we've, we've got to overcome. We are not to have a spirit of fear, the Bible says, but a spirit of love and a sound mind. And so that comes from God and the Holy Spirit. So don't retreat when the enemy is trying to bring defeat. And that's what's happening to Paul. They haven't been able to stop him up to this point. Even his own friends we talked about, even the own elders and the people in the church, they saw that chains awaited to him. It was even prophesied uh, that the belt would show a, a, a binding, that he would be bound. And so all of this he's still walking toward. Yes, I've been warned. Uh, yes, I realize the enemy is real. Yes, I realize the enemy's trying to instill fear. But guess what? My life's not about me, Paul said. And today we get to the point uh, that we surrender our lives to the Holy Spirit and allow Him to do His work, that our life's not about ourselves, we will begin to see God work in our life. But when God's at work in our life, guess what? There will be hardship in this world because this world is not our home. And the devil is the prince of this world, and he's constantly at work. So notice, Paul doesn't retreat, but he stands for what is right. In verse 25, he says, I'm a Roman citizen by birth. So he spoke up. So he spoke the truth. It was okay that he spoke the truth. He wasn't going to sit there and take a flogging and a beating if he could keep from it. And so he was going to call to his defense uh, his own uh, citizenship by birth, and, uh, but at the same time remain in his integrity and his character for God. And so you may be bound, but it's okay to stand your ground. It's okay to say, here's who I am. And that's what Paul was doing in this case as he was putting that out before them. But at some point in his life later on, it would come, no matter who he was as a citizen, that he would make his stand uh, and proclaim that he was a follower of Jesus Christ. And for making that claim and that stand, it would cost him his life, along as it did with many other disciples. So we've got to understand this concept. When, when, when we respond to the Holy Spirit of God who is drawing us to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus, you do understand we're saying we'll die. I hope you get that when you follow Jesus. I hope that you don't think there's this American version of Christianity, as I'm afraid many people do, uh, and that, that there's one version that Americans can get, but uh, another version that somebody in a third world country uh, can get, and it's going to cost them more. Jesus said, if any man desires to follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So each person in this room who's a true child of God, when you said, I will follow Jesus, if you followed him the way he was calling you to follow him, you died at that moment to yourself. You died. 
and said, I'm a dead man walking. I'm not going to live for myself. I'm not just wanting to follow Jesus for the get, get out of hell free card. I, I'm not wanting to just follow Jesus because it seems like the nice thing to do and it makes me feel better. I, I'm dying. I'm dying to myself. I'm dying. I'll live for Jesus. That's why you're not ashamed if you're a true believer of Jesus. Jesus said himself, if you're ashamed of me before men, what? I'll be ashamed of you before the Father. Those are stout words. We've got to go back to what Jesus is saying about what it means to truly be a follower of Christ. And Paul modeled this and represented this. And so here's a second truth. When you are accused, it helps to bring the real reason to light. When you are accused, it helps to bring the real reason to light. So Paul was not afraid to put the truth on the table. And it's the truth that sets you free. Well, Paul knew the Son was the truth. And if the Bible says that the Son has set you free, then you are free indeed. So Paul is sitting there, falsely accused, just as Jesus was. Remember this. And, and he had seen Jesus go through the same thing. So what does that mean? It means there's nothing you or I are going to face as a believer that Jesus hasn't already walked through. There's no persecution there's no hardship, and there's nothing that you and I face that Jesus hasn't already walked through. So look what he does. He brings the real reason to light. Look at chapter 23 and verse 1 through 10. And looking intently at the council, he was zoned in, led by the Spirit. Paul said, brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. What a beautiful thing to be able to clearly call your own uh, conscience, your own integrity as your defense. And that's what Paul is doing here. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. The devil doesn't like truth. Have you ever noticed that? The enemy can't stand it. The enemy can't stand for you to be a follower of Christ and a person who walks in integrity. He will bring all kind of hardship against you if you try to model Christ in your lifestyle. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law, and yet contrary uh, to the law, you order me to be struck? Those who stood by and said, would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, verse 5, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, brothers, I am a Pharisee. A son of Pharisees, it is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. In verse 7, notice that he says here, And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees said there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledged them all. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply. We find nothing wrong in this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him to, uh, into the barracks. Now, uh, when you're accused, it helps to bring the real reason to light. I want you to notice what Paul does. First of all, he, he, he says he has a clear conscience in verse 1. And then second, those who do right will be persecuted. So he gives this proof here in uh, verse 2 that here comes the persecution against him. And, and that's just the way the enemy works. The Bible says you're either for me or you're against me. 
And that's why that Paul was encountering persecution here from a man who was not following God, but from a man who was being influenced by Satan, who even might not have realized that he was being influenced by Satan. But he was, because he was coming against God's people. The same way that the Apostle Paul we talked about was persecuting God's people and Christians and even ordering them to be killed as he was Stephen. He was the devil's servant being used by the devil and the enemy. Now here's a question for us all. Whose servant are you? Who is influencing you? You're either for God or you're against God. So as you live your day, how are you being used for God to influence others to choose God? To influence your own family, men, as a spiritual leader of your home, to follow God, to grow in their faith, and and to be strengthened in their faith. Uh, Those who do right will be persecuted and so Paul preached the hard truth in hard situations that's what he's doing in verse 3 through 5 and so he literally calls this high priest out and it it was truth and even though he's saying I did not realize man he absolutely spoke right to the heart of this high priest calling him the same thing that Jesus would say about the Pharisees themselves calling them what whitewashed tombs literally hypocrites hypocrites Why, when Jesus encountered the Pharisees and the Pharisees encountered Jesus, why was there such, why was this such a hard, tough moment? Why was this such a moment where, I mean, they became very irritated, they became very ill because they were self righteous people? They were self righteous people. They, um, they didn't want others to think bad of them. They wanted to look like they had it all together. That's why the Bible says that, uh, that, that those men uh, looked at the outside, but God looked at the heart. So just like Paul read the high priest male and looked right into his heart and caught him a whitewashed wall, Jesus would do the same with the Pharisees. Well, they would become enraged. They would become the same way today. Same way, same way when you go over to uh, help open the eyes of a Muslim because every Muslim will stand before God uh, one day that's not converted to Christianity and when he says, why should I let you into my kingdom, they will try to tell him how good they are. They will try to tell him that they prayed five times a day. They will try to tell him that they gave alms. Many will try to tell him, I even took the trip to Mecca, as a 103-year-old man told us this past week. Muslim, that we're praying God would open his eyes. 103 years old. Another dad, as his family's hearing the gospel, and I'm trying to tell him that when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and tried to clothe themselves, it was not sufficient that God had to perform the first sacrifice because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And trying to get them to see that when Adam and Eve sinned and tried to clothe themselves, God, it was not sufficient. And when they sinned, they could not get back in the garden. So, dear American, dear friend here today, I pray you hear me very closely. If you think that you're going to get in the kingdom of God because of your goodness or because you went to church or your church membership or who your mom and daddy was in the church, you are as foolish as a Muslim thinking they're going to get in by their good works. But yet all across this country, people will think that they're going to get in by being a pretty good person. Or what about this one? By pointing out their neighbor that they're sure not as bad as that person. But yet Isaiah says, all we like sheep have gone what? Astray. All we like sheep have gone astray. All of our righteousness is as filthy rags, Isaiah 
says in the Bible. And so we've got to come to that understanding. And Paul is trying to point this out to this high priest and speaking the truth that he can see straight into his heart. And he's wanting him to open his eyes. But Paul preached the hard truth in hard situations. This past week, okay, we preached the hard truth in hard situations. Much harder than here. I've never really here been concerned when I laid my head down at night if something was going to happen to me over the night and during my sleep. But this past 10 days, I've been, it's the greatest awareness I've ever had. Why? Because I was preaching a hard truth in a tough situation, in a dark place where the enemy has had these people blinded for over a thousand years thinking they can work their way into heaven. And so I preached a hard truth. And so when you hear one of the believers say that their families come over and their family is uh, persecuting them and their family is saying, the people in the city is not liking these people from America coming here. They, they don't like it. They don't like the message that they bring. Then all of a sudden you go, hmm, I'm not in Warrior Alabama anymore. I'm not in Hayden anymore. The numbers are greatly stacked against me. But when you have the sovereign God on your side telling you that he's faithful and able to deliver you, the numbers are never truly stacked against you. So we're not to live in a spirit of fear. We're to be able to lay our head down at night, even though there's greater awareness and greater concern. And we're able to trust God. And we're able to preach the hard truth in hard situations. That's what God's called us to do. And it's interesting here that as Paul's preaching this, the very same people who accuse Paul of violating the law of Moses are the ones planning to murder him. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Talk about hypocrisy because in chapter 23, verse 12, listen to what it says. When it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. It's getting serious now. Now, how would this make you feel if you were Paul? <laughs> Can I tell you something? Truly following Jesus is not for the lighthearted. It's just not for the lighthearted. In fact, and we talked about this on our trip, and I said to the ladies on our trip, I said, I wonder how many Christ followers or claiming Christians there would be in America if we flipped it and everybody in America that claims to follow Christ had been born in a third world country where they were born as Muslims. And to follow Christ truly meant you truly got more of the understanding of denying yourself, taking up your cross and following Jesus. You truly got the cost. You consider the cost, Jesus would say. Count the cost of following me. I just wonder. I just wonder. And I believe that's many reasons why the Bible says broad is the road that leads to destruction and many find it. And narrow is the road that leads to life. And uh, few find it for really considering the cost. But Paul had considered the cost. And he was, he was more concerned uh, with uh, following God than he was with himself. So it's not for the lighthearted. Most would be more concerned with their own life and safety, but not Paul. Because he knew his body was not his own. Think about this. And he was bought with a price. So therefore he would what? He would glorify God in his body. He also said this. And I mentioned this to, uh, in my prayers the other night as I'm laying down on that rooftop knowing that, you know, we're a minority. We're bringing a message that Satan doesn't like. We're bringing a message um, that the enemy doesn't like. 
We're, we're praying against the satanic. And let me tell you, if you ever want to hear a satanic voice, it comes on before daylight every morning over there in that culture on the big speakerphone. Glenn and I was talking about that this morning. He said he remembered when he was over in Dakar. But when you hear the voice of the iman coming out to call those Muslims to pray, it is evil. It is, they don't see it as evil, but it is evil, you see. Because it's a voice that represents that Muslims are calling out, and literally they're calling out to a false god, but yet they are blinded in their, and they cannot see their spiritual blinders, and so therefore that's why they have to have the gospel. But the Apostle Paul, he said, to live is Christ, to die is gain, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Third and final truth here, stand for the right reason, and Jesus will comfort you in your toughest seasons. Look at verse 11. Man, we see great ministry of the Spirit here. And the Lord to Paul, the following night, the Lord stood by him. Remember, I said he stood for you on the cross. Now he's standing with you. And he said what? Take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. You will testify. Look at that. He says, take courage. And then he says, testify. He ties these two together. Take courage. Testify. You will testify as long as the sovereign God sees fit. So while we were on our trip in that context of being a minority, trying to encourage at that point some 12, 14 believers who had followed Christ, and one of the greatest encouragement we received this work this week is even though those believers were discouraged because they're not seeing enough of us and we don't have enough discipleship going on, but our heart is to have that, they still looked at us in the eyes and said, we still follow Isa no matter what. No matter what our family members are telling us and, and disowning us and breaking ties with us, we still follow Jesus no matter what. We are not turning back. We are truly following God. And God was giving them, the Spirit was giving them courage. And even as I laid there every night not knowing, as I was hearing that people aren't liking it, um, People aren't liking the message. At first, they think it's cool and neat that you're coming over and you're a Tubabo. That means a person who's not an African. And so the kids are pointing out, and they're all excited because they see a Tubabo uh, and, um, and all. And, and, and they greet you, and we love on them. But all of a sudden, when people begin to realize more and more our message, um, then they're not too happy that we're there. And so in that context, you have to remember Isaiah 54, 17, that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. It's more than just reading it, it's walking in it. So here's the deal. God is either sovereign over your life or he isn't. That's what kept coming back to me. God is either sovereign over your life or he isn't. What does that mean? It means no weapon formed against you as a child of God can prosper. It means no weapon formed against me as a child of God can prosper. It means that I'm not going till God says I'm going. Are you with me? I'm not going till God is through with me. God told Paul, they want to kill you. They're going to try to kill you, but you're not going. They wanted to kill Jesus. They wanted to catch him in a trap, but uh, it was not his time. His time was by the Father. So we must live our lives for the glory of God. God is either sovereign over your life or he isn't. And my point is, he is whether you believe he is or not. This is what gave Paul the courage. So what a blessing it is when you can say, and here's what Paul, in this text, he found out. The Lord knows me. The Lord is with me. The Lord is for me. So who can stand or what can be against me, as he said in Romans chapter 8. And the Lord isn't finished with me. And so Paul was ministered to in his spirit. 
But you got to understand, Paul could have been given a message here that you will die right here, but you've lived your life for my glory. And Paul would have said, okay. To live is Christ, to die is God. And, and, and that's the kind of faith that God's wanted to produce in us. This is why Paul could say as the band moves in place, 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through uh, verse 10. I want you to listen to this. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. Everybody kind of point to yourself right here. Like, do this right here. You're, he's talking about your jar of clay, your physical body. Dust you came in and dust you shall return. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. What's this treasure? To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. To show that no man brought his body to be, no man brought his flesh into being, and no man has the power when he will uh, uh, exit this earth in his own way. God is sovereign over that. And so he says, to show that the, surpa- the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. What a powerful verse. What is God trying to do among His church in America? I think He's trying to lead people into what it means to be a true follower of Jesus Christ. I think he's trying to get people to a point to walk in their faith and confidence and that their faith in Christ and that their confidence from the Spirit of God means more than their own self, their own physical life here on earth. And therefore, they're willing to endure the hardship and stand for Jesus, even stand as martyrs have stood with a faith like we're supposed to have as followers of Christ. So as you bow your head and you close your eyes in this time of response, I want to ask you some probing questions this morning. Is the life of Jesus manifested in you? Is it? And then the next question would be how? And then the next question would be, do you have religion? (laughs) All the Muslims, man, they got religion. They will make us look terrible in devotion. I'm just going to tell you. They are much more disciplined than the average Christian when it comes time to the discipline of their faith. When it comes time to waking up every day, many of them, before daylight and praying. When it comes time to praying five times. When it comes time to giving alms. When it comes time to fulfilling the five pillars. But you see, they have religion. They have religion. How foolish. They are whitewashed walls trying to impress God with their outside when he's looking to their hearts, wanting them to accept the sacrifice of his son, trying to make it into heaven by their good outweighing their bad. Do you have religion or do you have relationship? You come by and through Jesus and Christ alone and his sacrifice? Or is there a sense of pride in you that just has a tough time admitting you should have died on the cross? that you should have died for your sin. Jesus wants a relationship with you. He's not impressed by your good works. Are you counting on the sacrifice of Jesus or your own good works to get into heaven? As a believer, are you standing your ground for Christ? 
Are you receiving false accusations for standing for Christ? Are you willing to receive those false accusations? Are you willing to speak up to a lost neighbor? Are you willing to speak up to an atheist or an agnostic at school, at college, at work, in love, to present the love of Christ and the gospel? And last but not least, are you finding the comfort of Christ as you testify in tough times? Are you really learning to walk in your faith and believe in the sovereignty of God? Or do you live in a spirit of fear? Fear of man, fear of failure, fear of financial failure? Are you trusting God, the sovereign God who created the universe, the heavens declare his glory? Are you totally trusting in him? Now I'm going to urge you and encourage you because I know in a crowd this size that the Spirit of God is doing His work knowing that many, just like the Muslims, will make statements like this. Well, I am a pretty good person. Friend, you're not. I'm not. We are spiritually sinners that deserve hell. So get that out of your mind. There's no good in you. In fact, I would encourage you to tell God right now, God, I know that. Take the next step and say, God, thank you. When there was no good in me and I deserved hell, thank you for giving us the perfect sacrifice that all other Old Testament sacrifices pointed to, the sacrifice of your son. Jesus, thank you for taking my cross. Thank you for dying in my place. And thank you for paying for my sins. And I want you to know how sorry I am that my sins nailed you to the cross and that you had to die for my sins. So please forgive me of them all and come into my heart and life and change me, save me. I want to live for you, Jesus the help of the Spirit. I will go public. I will follow through with baptism, showing that I identify with you. In Jesus' name. Now, if you prayed that and meant it, something happened. God saved you based on your faith, not your feelings. And you need to share that. You need to come down and share it today. You need to share it by putting it on that card that you received Christ. And then you need to allow us as the body of Christ to come along and help you with the next steps as far as growing in a disciple. And believers, I know there are some here that God challenged you because just to be quite honest, you know you're pretty selfish. And God has shown you that selfishness. And God has shown you that you're not living for Him, that you're living for yourself, that you're not trusting in His sovereignty and that there's a spirit of fear, anxiety, worry, spirit of selfishness, self-focus on things that don't matter, things that are wood, hay, and stubble, the Bible says, will burn up. And I'm going to encourage you to tell God right now in your heart, if you're truly wanting to repent of that and turn, just tell Him, say, Dear God, Father, thank you for saving me. Forgive me for selfishness. Forgive me for not living my life for the reason you've left me. Forgive me for driving by my neighbor every day. Every week, God, 
and not being burdened about them dying and going to hell. Not being burdened about extending an invitation to them to worship you so the gospel can change their lives. Now, God, give me the courage to be your spokesperson, to be your vessel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would stand very respectfully all over the room, the band's just going to play through a verse of this song.